0: Oh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. I've missed a week, so I'm not sure if we're still starting with a question. <laughs> but I have got one for you. What is the shortest chapter in the whole of the Bible? Except you. Anyone know? The shortest chapter. Shortest chapter on the shortest chapter. Psalm 117 is the correct answer. Well done, Raj. So if you pick your Bibles up and open them to the very, very centre, you should find Psalm 117, which is officially the centre-most chapter of the Bible. And if you are looking at it now, you will have noticed that it is only two verses long. Interestingly, it almost directly precedes the longest chapter in the Bible, which is Psalm 119, Mm -hmm. which is a whopping 176 verses long. So you can all breathe a sigh of relief that I've chosen to look at the shortest chapter and not the longest chapter. So I'm going to read Psalm 117 for us now, so settle in. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Lord him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. I'll read it again in case you missed it. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Lord him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. You know, I've been thinking recently about our world and how society today seems both determined to be one people without any distinctions between people, and somehow simultaneously has managed to put more labels and create more groups of people than ever before. Once upon a time, there were men and women, now there are 112 different gender options and counting. When I googled how many genders are there, Google suggested I add 2020 at the end of my search, presumably to get the most up to date number. A society that wants inclusion, splitting us all up into 112 groups. Racism is also high on the agenda at the moment, a hot topic. And the word racism to me means treating someone negatively based solely on the colour of their skin, which is obviously wrong. But it seems racism is now sometimes simply, simply noticing and acknowledging the differences between people. And society can't decide yet whether we should be blind or flip racism on its head and treat somebody positively based solely on the colour of their skin. We can't seem to decide whether to respect the different groups or create one group of people. It's a confusing time, to be sure. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to fit into a group. Everyone does. We all fit into multiple groups. I'm a female, Christian, singer, Welsh, musician, employed, white, graduate, and so many other things, if I care to point them out. The world is filled with multiple groups of people, And the rest of the world has preconceived ideas about groups that they aren't a part of based on their own experiences or the experiences of people they know or from what they see in the media. And sometimes they're positive preconceived ideas and sometimes they're not. I'm a female, to which people might say, girls are so emotional or girls are so caring. I'm a Christian, to which people might say, Christians think they're so much better than everyone else. Or, Christians are so forgiving. I'm single, to which people might say, single people are so desperate. Or, single people are so lucky. I'm Welsh, to which people might say, Welsh people are only interested in sheep. Or, Welsh people are so friendly. And I could go on. There is so much that divides us. And those divisions, coupled with ignorance can create animosity and discrimination and jealousy and hate. In the Old Testament, the biggest divider between peoples was Jew and Gentile. And even then, you could divide down further to the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hivites and so on. In these verses, however, what we read isn't directed just to the Jews, God's chosen people. In some version, that first part says, Praise the Lord, all you nations, rather than Gentiles. But essentially that first verse, whatever word your Bible has there, that first verse is saying, everyone praise him, everyone laud him. The first verse essentially says, praise him you black people in America, praise him you married men in Germany, praise him you teachers in Spain, praise him you bilingual people in Mexico, praise him you disabled people in Canada, praise him you unemployed people in Dubai, praise him you rich people in Scotland, everyone. Whatever group you're part of, whatever nation you come from, whatever language you speak, whoever you are, praise him. Mm -hmm. You see, no matter who you are, whether you be rich or poor, old or young, whether you believe in God or not, we can all agree that we have one thing in common. We will all die. And Christians understand what that really means. What the whole world really has in common is that we are all under the curse of sin. We are all tainted by it. We are all marked by it. We all will suffer the consequences of it. What does Romans 6 verse 23 say? For the wages of sin is death. That's why we all have death in common. It's because we all have sin in common. But praise the Lord that the verse doesn't finish there. It goes on to say, But the gift of God is eternal life Mm. in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm. That's why everyone should be praising the Lord, because he is worthy of it. Thanks to this indescribable gift, the gift of salvation, redemption from sins, the gift of righteousness through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. This act of love meant that this one thing that we all have in common, that we will all die, doesn't have to be true. That universal group has now been broken up into two separate groups, two extremely important groups, those who will die and suffer the consequences of their sin and those who put their faith in and believe and accept that Jesus Christ has already died and suffered the consequences for our sin already on our behalf so that we don't need to. What a fantastic group to be part of. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris has already read 1 Peter 2 verse 9 that uh, this tells us that as members of this group we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood a holy nation, his own special people that we might proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvellous light or as our chapter this morning says we praise him and we lord him it really is the best group that I am a part of and the best part is that anyone can join. That most famous of verses in John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. It doesn't say for God so loved the Welsh, or for God so loved the white. God had the whole world on his heart when he sent Jesus as a ransom, that the whosoever should not perish, not the best, not the rich, not the Jews not the righteous, the whosoever. Mm -hmm. If we go back well into the Old Testament, back to Genesis, in chapter 12 and verse 3, we read God promising Abraham that through him and his seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of them. We all benefit from the man who was born of Abraham's line. Mm -hmm. What Jesus accomplished on the cross was for every family, For every group, for every people, and for every nation and tongue. In Matthew 23, verse 14, we read this. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. A few chapters later, in chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Could it be more clear... That God does not want this to be a small, intimate group of the elite, but rather a massive family of people from all different groups, putting aside all other labels and wearing simply and proudly the label of saved by grace and son or daughter of the king. This is the only psalm that addresses the Gentiles directly in this way and is quoted by Paul in Romans 15 when he is trying to explain that God has pursued a worldwide redemptive purpose from the very beginning. After all, this psalm would have been written by a Hebrew, who at the time believed, as all Hebrews did, that they alone were the only true people of God. It's reasonable to say then that this psalm is a prophetic one, because it looks forward to a time when both Jew and Gentile will praise and lord the Lord. As a Gentile, it's fair to say that that prophecy has come to pass. In fact, it is the Jews who are mostly in the dark as to what God has truly done for them. It's reminiscent, though, of another Bible verse, also a prophetic part of Scripture that has yet to come to pass. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, which seems to have been quoted a lot recently, says this, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That is something that we have to look forward to. But notice that it will be every tongue and every knee that will bow and confess. That is what God is looking for, and what he would rather we choose... God is looking for. And he would rather that we choose to receive him as Lord rather than be forced to accept it. Isaiah 45 says something similar in verses 22 to 23. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. When we who know the Lord as our Saviour hear or read these verses and verses like them, we have a positive reaction to them. We are buoyed up by the call to praise. We are excited about the prospect of more and more people giving God the glory and honour that he deserves. But to the outsider, these kind of verses can garner a more negative reaction. As I've said already, opinions are formed based on your own experiences the experiences of others you know, and the media. And that's how stereotypes are formed. It's hard to give an example of a stereotype without offending anyone. But I found one. If you're Welsh, then you must be a good singer. That's the stereotype. That means then if someone meets you and you're a good singer, they might ask if you're Welsh. Because in their head, those two things go together. To a person living in the world then, When they hear or read this verse that is telling them to praise and lord God, or that verse in Philippians and verses like it, that say that one day everyone will bow to him, the connections that have been made in our mind will create this image of God as a dictator, like the ones we see in history and in the world today. Ones that take away the rights of the people, who create laws without government, who restrict the liberty of the people, who strong-arm people into supporting them, who do all these terrible things with their power to their people, whilst also forcing those same people to love and respect them, to bow down to them, and to sing their praises. It's an understandable link for people to make if they don't know God and they don't know Jesus. So what can we say then to people who might tell us that our God sounds a lot like a dictator? But firstly I would say that we would have to agree God is a dictator He does have the ultimate authority and power over everything He doesn't consult with anyone, he isn't on a board He is the king the king of kings and a righteous judge. What we have to do next is change those three channels that form opinions personal experience acquaintance experience and the medium dictator has this negative connotation around it because every man who's ever been a dictator has been a tyrant, has been selfish and self-serving, evil greedy, jealous, arrogant egotistical and tyrannical, to use just a few words and so of course no one wants to be ruled by a dictator it's completely understandable we then can take this opportunity to say yes that's a lot of people's experience of dictator's That's what the media often portrays of dictators. But let me tell you about God the dictator. And that is what verse 2 of our reading this evening does. It gives a reason, an explanation as to why everyone should be worshipping him. For his merciful kindness is great towards us. I serve a dictator, yes. A dictator who loves me. Who is kind to me. Who does what is best for me. Who teaches me who protects me, who serves me in return, who plans my footsteps, who has a purpose for me. We need to share our experiences of God with people and help them to understand that there is no better form of government than the dictator who loves his people and does everything for their benefit. And that is the God that we serve. So so that's the acquaintance experience. We need to address the media too what people see on their TVs and in films and on Facebook and YouTube and every other place people consume information. Most of us can't have much effect on TV and radio and film, but we can all make our mark on the World Wide Web and in the physical world with posters and flyers and leaflets. I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you. We need to be more vocal and more proactive in showing people who God is and what he's done and why he is deserving of all men's praise. And then hopefully, if the Lord wills it, with our shared experiences of God, and with the word out there for people to see and hear, they will start to have their own experiences with the Lord, and their opinions will change. They will no longer turn their nose up at the thought of worshipping someone, but rejoice that they have an outlet to attempt to give back to God, after all he has done for us. Last time I spoke, I gave seven biblical reasons why singing matters. And singing is obviously one aspect of praise. And the final reason why singing matters is because God is worthy of our praise. And praise gives glory to God. Another reason I gave why singing matters is because when you sing, you walk a God-designed pathway to joy. And what I meant by that, um, and we saw by the verses that we read, mostly from the Psalms, was that Singing births joy, and not only that, but joy births singing. When you realise how loved you are, when you realise how special you are, when you realise how precious you are, when you realise the lengths that God was willing to go to save you, you are so unbelievably filled with joy, almost inexpressible, that you can't help but sing, you can't help but praise, you can't help but lord him the saviour of the whole earth. But it's not just about gratitude. We don't just praise him because it's polite to say thanks. We don't just praise him out of obligation or for approval. We praise him because when we realise our position in Christ, it is most difficult to do anything but. And more than that, when we see something as praiseworthy, we want others to as well. The other night, when we had that magnificent lightning show in the sky, I came home from my screen with Alison and Chris and I watched it for a while in awe. And you know what I did then? I went to get my parents and I said to them, Come and see. Isn't it awesome? I wanted them to share in what I considered to be worth my praise. And just my praise wasn't enough. Not for the lightning, but for me. To fully enjoy standing in wonder and awe at the sky, I needed to tell others to do it too. And it's the same with this psalmist, and it's the same with us and God. We praise and laud him, not just as a result of the love and joy we feel towards him, but as part of it. We need to give him praise. We can't not. We wouldn't be complete without giving him praise. And God knows that. That's why he tells us to do it. Psalm 147 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good and pleasant to praise him. So what exactly is this merciful kindness that these verses talk about? Well, first off, it's interesting to note that this merciful kindness that is mentioned in this verse is directed to us. His merciful kindness is great to us, and that us surely must be Israel. As I said, this was written by a Hebrew. And so when he says us, he's most likely referring to his people. The question then is why would we praise in Lord God for his merciful kindness towards Israel? Well, if we think back to those verses I read from Genesis, where Abraham was promised that through him all the families of the earth shall be blessed, we get our answer. I let Paul explain with these verses from Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, Yet if, if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to you a seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of the mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For the, if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of, of, for as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, and is according to the promise, There's your answer. As I've said, the chapter that we are looking at this evening is a prophetic one, because it had yet to come to pass. But God, our wonderful, all-knowing, caring, dictator God, put steps in motion for us all to be saved through Christ Jesus back in Genesis, long before the law was written. It was always God's plan and intention. That is what this merciful kindness is towards Israel, that out of them would come Abraham's seed, who would confirm the promise of God, the covenant made by God, that it would be by faith that we are saved, and not just Israel, but the whole world. Our chapter this morning goes on to say, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Thank God. Paul says here in Galatians that no one can annul or add to this covenant this truth. It endures endures as is forever. Isn't it great to read there in Galatians, in this world of segregation and differences, that we who believe, that is to say, that potentially everyone are all one in Christ Jesus. Doesn't it make you want to praise him? Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Lord him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. We all have sin in common. We all harbour preconceived ideas about everything, including God. We all need to share our faith. We all can't help but praise him. We all were thought of before the beginning of time. We all can be saved. We all benefit from this perfect plan that began so very long ago. We are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all heirs according to the promise. Praise him and Lord him. Amen. 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 Amen.